Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives with full impact mindfulness. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're welcome here. No admission fee, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. As always, we offer an eclectic roster of guests, and without any further ado, live from New York, on Fishing Without Bait, it's our dear friend, our best bud, Miss Liz Victory. Liz, welcome aboard. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Sorg. Hello. Well, uh, when we last met uh, at the last episode of uh, Fishing Without Bait with Liz Victory, you were showing us a live stream of a Black Lives Matters march in New York City. I did. And I was not able to join that march because I did not have a mask. Ah, okay. So fill us in a little bit about Liss and New York City and how you're treating New York City. Um, well, uh, I prefer to go by victory because it's okay. easier to uh, say, understand, cool. and scream across a room. Uh, I used to say a bar full of people, but, you know, times change. For the moment. Uh, New, New York City, New York City's great. I really love it here. I have toured through here um, before I even started my music career. Well, I guess a roadie is in the industry. Uh, I've been touring through here for over a decade, I think. And as much as things have changed, it's still, in my opinion, greatest city in the world, you know. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Do you think you add some flavor to it, list? Do you think you add some snap, crackle, pop? Gosh, I certainly hope so. Okay. Well, I most certainly think that you do. So tell us exactly what's going on in Victory's life right now. Well, um, I feel uh, a little defiant ah. because I just uh, managed to go to three of our five boroughs in a single day today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is questionably, ethic, ethically questionable, because um, I went to several different neighborhoods, but I had a doctor's appointment in Manhattan. Uh, while I was out, I wanted to go to Queens to pick up something from the tailor, and I live in Brooklyn, so I was in several different places, and a few of those places, mostly Manhattan's really got the crackdown on their test and trace program. Uh. But um, my indoor dining experience in Queens did not ask me for my name and telephone number, which seems to be the norm okay. for indoor dining in Manhattan. So that's a little snippet of how things are happening okay. out my way. So give us a little bit of the zeitgeist of, uh, of New York City, the metropolitan area of New York. Uh, it, I mean, it's everything. Everything is here. So... You know, uh, I, I was I was in Manhattan, walk into the train today, and I saw some man who I had passed crossing the street, turn around, start following a lady in what I think was a red baseball cap, saying, what country do you want me to go back to, ma'am? Ah. Excuse me. Okay. So tell us about what the mood of the <laughs> mood of the city. Uh, well, when I first got here, it was a lot quieter and uh, more 
scared, I would say, but I think that people are getting out and about a lot more. Uh, while I was in, I was in the financial district of Manhattan. I guess they call it downtown Manhattan. I walk right up to the Freedom Tower, uh, which is gorgeous. I love it. And uh, there are signs all over the place that say, uh, you're downtown. Welcome back. And I'm like, really? You left? <laughs> I, I have this whole I have this whole grudge against the people who left New York. And it's like, oh, we're just going to let them come back. Ah, OK. <laughs> All right. Do they have to know the password to get back in list? I don't know. There was a meme going around that they have to pay more for the subway. And I, <laughs> I feel good about that. <laughs> OK, so what we're hearing, Victory, is that you've assimilated. I feel pretty good about it, yeah. Okay. You've assimilated into into the New York state of mind. Tell me tell me about a New York state of mind and then we'll talk about a Pittsburgh PA state of mind. There's there's just so much to experience. And I was I was thinking, well, I've almost been here for a year, but I've come here so much that there are already, you know, those places that I frequent and my go-tos and things I know about and things I do, but now I'm really starting to get the hang of the subway and which routes to take uh, near my house anyway. But there's just, there's just so much, but not to get ahead of myself in Pittsburgh too. There's so much, for example, my goal before I left Pittsburgh was to hit all four Carnegie museums and I was not able to. Um, because I waited till the end of my seven years of living there <laughs> and the pandemic started. So uh, Nick Grabiel, he came out here shortly after me. Um, and he said at one point, and I liked it and I didn't like it, but he said, uh, well, you know, it's similar to how life was in Pittsburgh. You know? <laughs> it was like, part of me is like, no, it's not. And the other part of me, yeah, I mean, it's really everything is what you make of it. Right, everything's a matter. You and I have talked about this, and everything's a matter of perception. It's how it's how you view it, which is one of the reasons eyewitness accounts are so unreliable. Um, mm. So, tell me about tell me about some of the difference. Now, if you're sitting here in Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburghers truly believe that Pittsburgh is the center of the universe, and really nothing much exists outside the city limits. So tell us about the New York state of mind. I mean, I don't disagree with them. I have huge hometown pride. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh-huh. I have a bunch of hometowns and I am uh, fiercely defensive of all of them and completely in love with all of them. So probably blindly in love with all of them. Victory, my experience with you is that you've always been able to be a keen observer of situations and then make a choice on how you're going to participate in it. I think I've gotten a lot better at that. But yes, I do put effort into doing that. Right, right. So what we always what I always work with, at least with my patients, is is to have them first of all check the facts. What do I know for sure? And let's deal with what's right in front of me. So how does that work for you going from your hometown to the city of Pittsburgh to New York City? I was going through some old notes last night, and they were about my life in my hometown. And my hometown's Erie, Pennsylvania. Again, 
fiercely defensive and in love with my hometown and everything. But wow, was my life starkly different and uh, quite bad, I would say. And not altogether the fault of the city, but very much my poor decision making played a role, of course. (laughs) But my God, uh, I don't I would never want to go back. I don't think um, my tastes change and they're malleable and I try not to be too rigid about anything. But I don't think I would want to go back to my hometown uh, if I were to settle someplace not as uh, dense as New York, I would probably go to the Pittsburgh area. That's, I mean, that's still the area that I like best of the places I've been, I think so far, it's still, you know, a big experiment. What would some advice be for an individual that just say, Hey, listen, it sounds, that sounds great. I'm going to come to New York city. What suggestions would you give to them? Save a lot of money. Ah, Save a lot of money, uh, make a dedicated plan, really sink your teeth. in when you get here, um, probably don't do it on a whim. I've, I did it on a whim once before I moved in with a buddy who said, Hey, you want to crash at my house? And I did it same neighborhood that I live in now. Uh, I'm in a better part of the neighborhood now, I think. And that was like 10 years ago and it ended badly. I mean, as kind of predictably, I'm not saying don't take up that offer if it comes to you. Uh, I learned from it for sure, but I worked my ass off and I saved all of my money and I did not buy anything. I also live under the poverty line. So for me to save money is a miracle in itself. Um, A lot of my friends I know got jobs before they got here. I did not do that. Uh, May or may not work out in my favor. I don't know. But I've been here long enough that I think I I can keep my claws dug in without getting kicked off the horse necessarily. I like that analogy. I like it. So quite often is what I try to help people with, and I know you do too, is that people are more outcome-focused than process-focused, okay? We're always looking for an outcome. I'm going to move to New York City without wanting to invest in the process of moving there. Yeah, that's hugely uh, important to getting here, at least in my experience. I uh, I make that analogy all the time with people, actually, because I am a big manifestation person. So I'll be talking about how oh, well, at the top of every uh, start of a page in my notebook, I write New York City. And yeah, actually, that's an active thing. But I'll, I'll talk about how talking about something really helps and imagining what you want really helps. But it doesn't really mean anything if you're just talking about and imagining what you want while you just, um, I'm going to use a personal example Watch YouTube video uh, video videos. Uh, I'm mixing it up. My idea, in my head was videos, but I don't really play video games, so that would sort of be messing with somebody else's vice. My vice is YouTube videos. <laughs> oh my lord! I just constant political commentary on YouTube. I uh, it's, it's seriously, it's like an addiction. It's a problem that I'm looking into how to deal with. <laughs> so. As we talked earlier before the show started, Liz, it's not what you say, it's what you do. We can have all these beautiful thoughts, wonderful ideas, 
However, as long as they just stay inside of our head, no one else knows. Yeah, I think talking about it with other people, too, opens up different avenues. And I've had a lot of experiences in the past where I have met people where I I came up with this uh, stock answer, basically. So when someone approaches me and they say, hey, I have this idea for this project and I want you to do these things. And I don't want to do anything because (laughs) I am so busy that I can't sleep eat or just I have no time for anything so whenever somebody wants to bring me into their project uh I generally don't want to be a part of it this all sounds like really I don't know bitchy but does it this is this is how it is for me uh I don't know so my stock answer is always like yeah let me know when you get started on that because then I'm off the hook and generally they don't do it (laughs) Well, of course, uh, the idea is that, and again, people are looking for the outcome and other people to do the process. Uh, so in a 12-step world list, when people tell us all these things, rather than point out or try to get details, we just say, well, let me know how that works out for you. Yeah. Very similar stock answers. Let me know how that works out for Incredibly beneficial. <laughs> we'll just say, good luck. Good luck. Let me know how that works out for you. So tell us how things are working out for Victory. Uh, Really great, I feel like. I feel like things are really on track. Um, I feel really good about where I am. I really need to make more money. That's a thing that I'm sort of obsessed with, but should be taking more steps to solve the problem. I've talked to several people about this. It's like some sort of mental block that seems associated with self-love and confidence. Ah, say more about self-love and confidence, Liz. Well, for the majority of my life, I've been willing to do this. Like I said, can't eat, can't sleep, so much work, just ridiculous amounts of work mm-hmm. for not what I am worth monetarily. Just I, I have not gotten the remuneration that I reserve, deserve for the work that I do. Um, and I've allowed that to happen for much of my life. And then the shift sort of happened slowly, I think, over time. And I, I think it really started when a friend of mine said uh, I needed to start thinking in terms of abundance uh, instead of scarcity. And I shouldn't I shouldn't hate money. And if you want to go back even further, the whole concept of you shouldn't hate yourself. You want to talk about self-love. Um, that was introduced to me. I don't know when it was, but I don't think I really cared until, until my second ex-husband left me. Okay. When my second ex-husband left me, I was like, God damn it. No one's going to do this right as usual. So I'm going to have to do it. I need to do the self-love. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I'm finally starting to get it now. I think, well, I think. Are you important, Liz? Uh, God, that so makes me so uncomfortable. Are yes. You imp- are you important, Victory? Yeah. So totally. So this is a this is a conversation that I have most every day with patients, and most people have with themselves. So could you give me a reason that people hesitate and are awkward and uncomfortable with its with saying that statement? I'm important. Well, I can tell you why I feel that way. Please. 
um, overall, I feel like I am a burden and don't even deserve to be alive. And uh, I'm like super confused why I'm alive at all. Uh, so many people feel that way. And unfortunately, particularly young ladies feel that way. They feel they're not worthy. So tell me, Liz, um, and we talked about this before, but self-concept is facts and information you know about yourself. Self-esteem is how you interpret those facts and information. So sometimes, Liz, we have a, what I call is the stranger that takes over our life. And I think it's that stranger that tells people that they're not worthy and they don't deserve these things. How do you, how do you deal with the stranger, Liz? I, uh, I talk to myself, actually. Apparently, this is a thing that not a lot of people do. But I talk to myself a lot. I wake up and I start talking to myself. I talk to myself all throughout the day. You know, I talk myself into going to bed. I treat myself like a child sometimes. I reward myself. Um, yeah, a lot of it is talking to myself. Generally not out loud. Um, and generally in, in a, uh, with as much, this takes practice, with as much loving kindness as possible. So come on, you can do this. You can get out of bed. Once you get out of bed, you're going to feel so much better. You know, stuff like that. Like you're sore because you need to stretch because you need to get out of bed. Getting out of bed is super, super hard. Getting out of and getting into bed are both really difficult for me. Um, for a variety of reasons that probably include my mental diagnoses. Okay. So what we talk about is having people make declarative statements inside of their head. You know my tattoos. I choose. I am. Abracadabra. All these type of uh, things. 90% of cognitive behavioral therapy is about changing the language in the way you speak to yourself. Uh, and once again, do you remember the time when you heard your recorded voice played back to you first time? Not the first time, but I definitely remember when I used to hate it. Yeah. Uh, so how did that voice sound to you? Uh, not me. Mm -hmm. Awkward. Not pleasant. Who not is good. that? Uh-huh. Okay. So when you say to yourself, have you ever said to yourself, Liz, I'm not going to let myself do that again. Why did, why did I do that again? Yeah. When I read my notes. <laughs> uh, okay. So what we try to help people understand is that myself is this dysregulated thinker inside you. Okay. And the I self is really your authentic, let's say adult self that's trying to address an unruly child. Did you ever yeah, think, I'd agree with that. Did you ever think of your brain as an unruly child? Uh, more like a adversary in war. Ah, that's interesting. And that's so what you're trying to tell us is that you've been at conflict with yourself, I guess, for a number of years. I'm not sure when I made this distinction, but I have managed to separate myself into three parts, which would be my conscious mind, my physical brain, 
and then the body, which houses both. Ah. All three, for quite some time, Wonderful. have been at constant war with each other. Mm-hmm. However, just recently, uh, I've been, uh, I don't know, peace treaties. Like, okay, look, I'll give you food. I'll give you sleep. I'll do these things that you need. We'll go to the doctor. We'll take the medicine and all this stuff. So that my consciousness, which is the thing that I actually care about and the rest, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) So that the consciousness can get done the things that it wants to get done, right? So the brain chemicals, they're fucked. My body, it has to eat and do all this stuff that annoys me. But my consciousness has all these ideas and things that it wants to do and shows it wants to put on. But it can't do that unless I feed the body. And... A very, very good friend of mine uh, kind of put me in my place when he said, oh, yeah, all, all, all of that food, all of that eating and sleeping that you have to do in order to experience the world through all five senses, like you're being ridiculous. Well, that's, uh, that's the process, Liz, and that's what a lot of people don't want to invest in. So what I try to help people understand that our brain's nothing more than a massive organic goo. It's a data gathering type of instrument takes in all this data from the from all the senses and it's our mind that takes this data in and turns it into thoughts and shapes shifts sorts them and unfortunately victory our mind is sometimes like a politician if it tells a lie loud enough and long enough sooner or later you begin to believe it all right so what we try to do is help people understand that they do have an I self that can choose how much of this drama to participate in. I th- I agree with you, but even getting to the point of accepting that as an option is so difficult that I don't even know how to lead the horse to water on that one. Okay. Well, that's... And another thing we often say, and I use a lot of 12-step analogies. I know you you know that. We often say in the 12-step world, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. However, you can make them thirsty. So quite often we want to ask ourselves, well, how's my way working? How's my way working? Mm. Now, how's my turn at the wheel? And we've discussed this before, and I definitely want to speak about to this tonight also, is that I try to get across the concept to people that we're spiritual beings. We just happen to be having a human experience, and it's this way tie into this human experience that really doodles our life up, and that victory life is absurd. And I usually tell people, when you have a good grasp on all those three things, uh, I'll have more issues at that point than you do, and our, our work will be done. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.